0: Thank you. Um, Excuse me. I wanted to thank everyone who is here. Um, And I especially wanted to thank Jim for asking me to do this. I've um, generally looked at my life in terms of my writing. I wanted to be a writer from a very young child. And that's how I've kind of seen my life is through that lens But um, So it was very interesting to look at my life in terms of this trajectory and how um, my mind has been way-seeking. And actually, I come from a fairly, well, what seems a fairly long line of pretty religious people. Um, I don't know if anybody can see it, but I've got this little book um, that was given to my father. My great-great-grandmother came over from Scotland on the um, Mormon Immigration Fund. She and her husband um, converted to Mormonism, or Latter-day Saints, as they say, while they were in Scotland. But they decided that they wanted to come to Zion and help build the promised land, that that was what they wanted to do with their life. And um, before they could get on the boat, however, her husband died. So Christina, excuse me, Christina Howie Lindsay, brought all of the children onto the, um, wherever they caught the boat. And went across the ocean with 700 people to New York. And then um, took a steamboat and a train to Florence, Nebraska, where they waited for seven weeks for an ox team sent from Utah so that they could travel by ox and on foot from Nebraska to Heber City, Utah. And they got there about three years after the first log cabin was built. They set up a homestead. They started farming. uh, They fenced off things. And basically they took over the land that was the summer hunting and foraging ground for the Ute tribe. And my um, great uncle, one of her sons, was part of the territorial militia who fought in the Black Hawk War, which if you look up Wikipedia, tells that it was a very little known war between the Ute, the Paiute, the Navajo and the Apache, who were being pushed out of their lands by the Mormon settlers. And eventually their lands were taken away by an act of Congress. The U.S. Army was sent in to quell the disturbance. And really, with, when you read the timeline, which I did today, um, and they talk about all of the horrible atrocities that happened on both sides to all of these families, it's it's really pretty... um. It's really pretty sad and pretty disturbing. But anyway, these this was my grandmother and my great-grandmother and, you know, my uh, father's side of the family. That's how we got here. Fortunately, my grandmother on my father's side did not want to be a plural wife. So and she left Heber City, left the family, and went to Park City, which was a mountain town further up in the mountains where she met this wonderful, very handsome, um, it's called Black Irish, man. He had black hair and very dark blue eyes. And she married him and um, had four children, including my father, all boys. Actually, one girl who did not survive. My father was an altar boy when he was a child. So I presume that he was probably uh the son who was planned to go into the church. But by the time I was born, he was a lapsed Catholic, and the only thing that really um, was kind of Catholic about him was that he wanted to eat fish on Fridays. (laughs) So that was kind of what remained or seemed to remain of his Catholicism. My mother, on the other hand, was um, from a long line of Protestants. Her mother had, um, during the 1918 flu pandemic, Her mother had had what is now called a near-death experience. But um, in those days, they didn't understand that that's what it was. And so I was told this story about how my mother died and went to heaven and came back and told my mother, who was then eight years old, to never, ever be afraid of dying, that heaven was wonderful, that all of her relatives were there to meet her including her mother, who died giving birth to her. Um, And so this was kind of one of the stories that came down to me from my mother. Um, My mother was a Protestant. She didn't believe in graven images, (laughs) which is very ironic. um, If she saw all the Kuan Yin's that I have, that my uncle gave me, um she would probably turn over in her brain but anyway um so I got raised as a Protestant a very um if you can hear that sound that that's my bird clock I don't know if you can hear that but anyway um yeah so I got raised as a kind of Protestant um bland Protestant nothing special about us um my mother did like going to um revivals if they were good because she liked the music. She um, she liked gospel music, and um, especially she liked it if it was peppy. Probably she would have liked Leon Russell a whole lot, but, um, you know, she wasn't into rock and roll. But she was as close as she could get within the confines of what she believed in and what she liked. So anyway, by the time I was in high school, though, I was – um looking, I was already seeking, I was looking at other religions, I was studying, reading books on Hinduism, um, Buddhism, Sikhism, Jainism, or Jainism, uh, Judaism, Islam, I just wanted to know what was out there. And one of my best friends was Baha'i. So I learned um, quite a bit about that. And um, when I was in college. There, um, one of the PE classes that was offered was a yoga class by Yogi Bhajan students, and um, it was a very, very vigorous type of yoga, very intense. And um, after doing this really intense, very vigorous yoga for say half an hour or so, you were completely and utterly exhausted. So that by the time you lay down in corpse pose to meditate. Um, you know, you were really glad to meditate and <laughs> to lie down there for however long it was until the class ended. But they also taught breath work, um, breath of fire, long deep breathing. You did the breath work with the yoga. Also, the Tibetan tumo, if anybody knows what that is, where you hold your breath and uh contract your whole uh torso as much as you can. And, uh, he also, uh, taught Tantra Yoga. I went to a 10 day retreat in Taos with him, uh, not with him. Well, I mean, he was there, but with my teachers and some other friends from college. And we did these, this Tantra Yoga in these long, long lines. There were hundreds of people in, the, in each line, male, female, male, female, male, female. Male, female. We were sitting cross-legged across from each other, staring into each other's eyes with our arms above our heads and holding hands. And what it taught you was that there it started teaching you about interdependence in a way, even though that wasn't part of the philosophy. Um, What it taught you was that if you have your arms up in the air and you're holding hands with someone and you start to get tired, you know, an hour after you've been chanting, say, and sitting there in this same position and you start to slump or bring your arms down, then that person has to hold you up that you're practicing with. Or if the chanting gets off and one side of the group is chanting slightly ahead of the other group, you know that you're not going to be able to leave until you all get it back together and you're all singing at the same time and chanting. So it was really fascinating. I have to say it was one of the most physically difficult, but also one of the most um rewarding things I've ever done in my life. Because of course, once you're sitting there and doing this, you may be in enormous physical pain, but at some point, all the endorphins kick in and you're no longer in physical pain and you're also taught which yogi bhajan being a Sikh was really um, it was really important to the whole religion and the whole group you're also taught that you can do anything you want with your mind that mind mind is more important than body and you can you know you can just transcend the body not easily, but that you can. So it was very interesting in terms of learning about willpower and, you know, the drive there, nobody wanted to drive the drive back. Yeah, there were only a few of us coming back because some of the people stayed and, um, you know, we drove eight hour stretches without thinking twice. So it was a very interesting experience. Uh-oh, we lost ourselves. Huh. Well, I'm still on, uh, I'm still there and I'm gonna keep talking until somebody tells me not to. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, I was in college at the time though. And I certainly, I mean, uh, you know, that was my focus and I didn't want to, um, join this group. I kept doing yoga with them and, and things like that. But, um, then when I graduated, I moved to Los Angeles. And, um, when I was in Los Angeles, I heard about, um, I heard about Z Budapest, who was an earth-worshipping, goddess-worshipping, uh, Dianic Wiggett, it's called. And um, I think she was doing some kind of blessings or something when the women's building opened and things like that. Anyway, but I became familiar with that at that time. And... Um, when I moved up later, but again, I was working on my career. I was just starting to be a very serious writer and earning money from it and things like that. So that was my focus. When I moved up to Sacramento, um I found a reclaiming group. Uh, reclaiming was started by Starhawk. She wrote The Spiral Dance and... um She's considered an eco-feminist neo-pagan. That's the <clears throat> jargony ter- term that is used for her. Um, and um they do eight rituals a year: solstice equinox, um, and the four cross-quarter days, like May Day, um Llamas Yule, and uh Breed, or Bridget Day. Um, and um We used to always go, I I hooked up with a reclaiming group here in Sacramento, and we would always go to the spiral dance that they did in San Francisco on um, Halloween, on Samhain, it's called. And um, it was just wonderful because they acted out the elements. They had altars to the dead. They read the names of the dead that everyone submitted, all the people who had died that year. And then they also read the names of all the babies who had been born. And um, you did this dance that was kind of a line dance with thousands of people uh, for hours. And it was just um, it was very interesting. I liked it a lot and ended up going to uh spending a week at Witch Camp. <laughs> um i went to the group that starhawk was teaching it was called the geek group because um, most of the men who were there were in this group and it was all about science and you know all the scientific theories going on and even though there wasn't anything about the box universe there was you know i remember some guy who was an aerodynamic engineer talking about 11 dimensions if the universe really were 11 dimensions, here's how this could work and all of his theories on it. So that was that was really interesting to me. Um Then I got a hold of an old friend of mine from Los Angeles, a woman named Anique Brunet, who um, said that, oh, yes, let's get together. I'm now in Marin. Um, but I'm in, I'm actually in India at the moment. I'm just getting my teaching certificate in Shangpa Kagyu Buddhism. So um, we got together and I was just so impressed by her presence. Um, she just radiated this warmth and this being there in the moment in a way that I just hadn't ever seen anybody else do, and I thought, well, if this is if this is Buddhism, I'd like to be a student of yours. <laughs> so I became one of Monique's first students, and uh, even though she they were in Marin, that's where the their group was, um, the Suka City Foundation that she was a teacher at. Um, we did phone teachings for four years. And um, you know, then she said to me, you know, Dell, we really need a sangha. We need to find you a Tibetan sangha in Sacramento. So um we found uh the Gulupa uh Sangha, uh, Lions Roar Dharma Center. And um, while I was there, I studied the Four Foundation course. I uh studied with Geshidon Chobazar. Who was a Mongolian monk uh, in the lineage? He taught shanti Deva's Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life and also Songkhapa's great treatise on the um, steps of the path, which is the Lam Ram Chen Mo. Um, but I was also studying Thich Nhat Hanh at the same time, and I was taking online courses with him, and I was um looking at and listening to um, YouTube lectures and teachings by uh, Sister Chan Du, the first um, Western woman to become one of uh, their nuns. And I was just very, very drawn to it. Um, so I especially liked the fact that he was constantly talking about interdependence in ways that made it very, very simple. It was very profound and very simple at the same time. And I just, I just really liked it and I felt comfortable with it. And then, um, one day while I was on Zoom with, um, my Tibetan group, Jim came to the Zoom group and talked to us about, I think it was Jay Garfield. I think it was a nine-day course you had done with Jay Garfield. And Jim, please correct me if I'm wrong. But, um, and I just, I thought, wow, there's a Zen group in town. And this man seems really kind, really kind and really nice. And I was just very drawn to that. So um, I eventually joined And I've uh, been part of the study group. Um, I like very much being in the study group, being especially, I like the fact that we have a book club and that we are um, talking about racism and sexism. That I don't have to be a raging feminist here. That, you know, there are other women who are feminists and who will speak up. Um and I I love studying Dogen. I just I it it is just mind blowing. So um <laughs> I think that's um I think that's everything I want to say. <laughs> thank you for um giving me this opportunity to talk about this. Does anyone have any questions or comments?
1: Can you hear uh, from here, the Zendo? Can you? I can hear you. Yeah, I can
0: hear you too.
1: I can see everyone over there. Um, Thank you so much, Dill. What a what a a lot of peregrinations through (laughs) (laughs) through uh, you know the the um, the what sounded like you know the seventies the eighties the nineties uh various um um spiritual uh lineages and teachers who've uh you've encountered uh in your in your uh in your in your journey i'm just curious about um uh, is there any way in which that uh how how this um you know the spiritual side of yourself did was it was that was there a tie-in to your writing, to your to what you were doing in your career? were, you, were you, was there any tie-in that way?
0: No, actually not not really. Um you know I I did have a wonderful nonprofit client that did uh uh Affordable housing, they were a developer that had um, 17 communities in Sacramento, Davis, Stockton. Um, and I felt very lucky to be able to work with them and to be able to help get media for them. Um, but not really, um, though, actually, I have been thinking about um, writing about what I, you know, the the way seeking mind that I, the talk that I just gave you, um, you know, writing about that and also writing about my parents and what they went through and what I went through when they were dying, because um, they both got senile dementia. And some of that was really, really fascinating. I mean, some of the things they said and did was just so interesting and um when my mother died uh somebody a friend of mine who knew her asked me uh what do you think happens when people die and I said I don't know I just I just don't have any idea and I don't really have any um you know even though my grandmother was pretty sure what happened that you know um I didn't know and that night oh my friend said well she said she said life is so weird it could be anything I mean think of what think of what we have here now I mean if life weren't the strangest thing you could possibly imagine we wouldn't have butterflies and I laughed and I said oh yeah we wouldn't have dragonflies and I you know thought okay that's kind of a cool way to think of it that anything could happen um and that night um when I looked out the, uh, I pulled the curtain on the, the front door to see if my cat had come up to the porch yet. And there was a dragonfly at eye level. And I looked and I said, oh, hi, mom. Thanks for, thanks for telling me there's, there's something. <laughs> and that you were listening or somebody or the universe was listening. So, um, you know, I've had a lot of those kind of interesting experiences that I thought might be fun to write about. So I don't know what I do with that, but or who else would be interested? But it's just it's it's something to play with.
1: Thank you. Uh, is there any uh, other comments from the Zendo? Otherwise, we could ask Zoom if they. Oh, Dorley has
2: one. Thank you so much, Del. It was sort of amazing. Like I could feel your. This deep love of something new, <laughs> something that sort of opens your mind more, and whenever that happened, you went, you went with it. So that's this very inspiring, <sighs> really, because that's that deep. That is the way seeking mind. It it propels you, you know, beyond where you were before. And and uh, since you ended by saying you love Dogen, I wish you, I wish you would say more of what you love about Dogen. <laughs>
0: Oh, I think what I love about Dogen is that, um, or at least the very little of Dogan that I've read, is that it's he's very in touch with the earth and everything about the earth. And I also like the um the contradictions that he uses that makes you really, really think and really question. Um what your own assumptions are. Um, But I do especially like the imagery and, you know, um, that to Dogen and um, probably the whole of Zen, everything is animate. Even the stones are animate. It's like, um, It's like the Native Americans, I think they felt that everything had spirits and, um, you know, like places had spiritual significance, which is, you know, very different from what the modern world generally thinks, or at least the modern Western world that I know of,
2: so. Yes, thank you you, thank you. See anyone else here that wants to ask a question or say something and uh looks like Oscar has his hand raised
3: yeah, thanks um, thanks, Dale. That was a marvelous talk uh, and, mm-hmm. uh, I, I related to some of it. Um, I guess we're going through parallel journeys during the same periods but um and I really like what you just said about um Dōgen and and Zen in general, uh, having this appreciation for nature, which is maybe very Japanese. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I wonder if, like, you've been, you've tasted a lot of spiritual practices. Are those part of your, you know, do you feel that's part of what you bring to Buddhism, or is it in, kind of in your past, or... How is that living stuff living in you now? The Wiccan studies, the feminist echo, eco-feminist work, all of that. Um, is that somehow encapsulated in your present um uh, where you are today?
0: Um yes, I think I have incorporated um not everything I've ever read, and certainly not my ancestors. But um, unless we talk about the, the strong will of my ancestors. But um, I think I have incorporated, um, I mean, I first started meditating with Yogi Bhajan how many decades ago and um, doing breath work, which I still do, um, and yoga somewhat, and also um, my whole worldview with um, feeling like the earth and nature is our mother and that we are, we are her children. We are the um, part of that, but we're only a tiny part of that. And, um, you know, how we really owe the earth a lot more than we're giving her, especially if we want to survive. Hmm. So, um, I think, I think I've incorporated it in this very weird way. I just keep bringing it all in. And it seems to work. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I. Um, did I mention that? Um, not to me. I change the subject. Do you mind, Oscar?
3: Of course. Please do. <laughs>
0: um, I was just. I don't know if I brought in about um, when I started reading this uh, booklet. This little booklet about my ancestors and settling Utah and um, started reading it and comparing it with Google and looking up things. Um, It was, you know, it was just very strange to think of my great grandmother and all of these people in this totally different light that as settlers, they were stealing the land. And I don't think I, I mean, I used to see her as this very strong willed woman and when I was overwhelmed by something, I would tell myself, Dell, think of who you came from. This is nothing. You didn't walk from Nebraska to Heber City, Utah, you know. Um, you didn't sleep in a tent at night for however long it took, um, you know. But now I look at it, and I think it's because of the Black Lives Matter and also being in this group. And just seeing things so differently that I started to think, oh, and my, you know, great uncle was in the militia and he fought in the Black Hawk Wars. (laughs) And I think, oh, endless karma (laughs) that I, you know, bring to this, I mean, if If there's any rebirth through our ancestors, then I bring to this lifetime, and I have to think about that my part um, kind of in that because I um benefited from it. I am benefiting from it
3: yeah so, we all we're all heirs of of our privilege uh, the privilege of our ancestors. But that doesn't mean, if I may say, that doesn't mean your grandmother didn't have a strong spirit. Uh, She did. (laughs) And and in a way, maybe you're bringing, it occurs to me, I imagine that uh, in a way you now are bringing those threads together, bringing those, you know, that terrible karma. uh, In a way, you're dealing with it in a way that the previous generations did not at least your your forebears did not <laughs> um so that's maybe that's your job in this lifetime and thank you for doing it
0: thank you
3: there's so much of that work that needs to be done
2: Yes, will.
1: Hi, Dale. Uh, I enjoyed the telling of your family history and your ancestry. That was really interesting. So thank you for that. But I was wondering if you had a personal interaction with Yogi Bhajan?
0: Uh, No, I, I, the closest I got was him on a stage when I was at the 10 day retreat. Um, I knew his students because they taught the yoga class. And because um, one of the one of the male teachers asked me to work with him during the retreat. Um, and I was really thankful for that because it was just, like I said, it was very physically difficult. So um, I didn't. And I only recently found out about the uh, some of the allegations against Yogi Bhajan and um I found it very interesting that uh, the 3HR Foundation that still exists, that he started, no longer has his biography on their website. They pulled it, so,
1: you know. I didn't know that, thank you. I didn't either.
0: Was a very, he was a very forceful man. I mean, I have to say, he he emitted this incredible energy. I mean, he had thousands of people Um, almost at his command. I mean, nobody was, you know, everybody was doing this yoga and um, we were in these lines and we were chanting and until he was ready for us to stop. Um, You know, and there were people with staves in case you slumped. (laughs) The only way you got out of it was if you had an epileptic attack, which somebody actually did one day. So anyway, um, yeah. But in, you know, his teachings were very interesting, but um, it was a very traditional, very old world, you know, for all of the the good things that I found in it. And I I know there has been quite a few um, allegations against him and how he treated people. So... Any other questions?
1: Kenny has his hand up. Oh, can you hear me? You said you wanted to be a writer from a very young age, I think, and I was just wondering what, what kind of writers were inspiring you? And then maybe also to go beyond that, I don't really know if all writers are kind of outsiders or skeptical or observers but when you were part of these groups and organizations did you you know question as an outsider ever what was happening or i don't know where i'm going with that but just just sort of a couple concepts to throw out there
0: oh. <laughs> Um, You know, I think the interesting thing about being a writer, or wanting to be a writer, or even being a reader, which is why I wanted to become a writer, was because the people in who are writers in the books often talk about being alienated. And, you know, and I was an only child. I mean, I have a half brother who's 15 years older. So he was gone by the time I was three. And, um, you know, I spent a lot of time alone reading and, um, I, I did feel this alienation and I also felt alienated, um, a lot just because of being a woman and even as a, um, uh, I mean, possibly because I was raised as an only child, um, you know, my parents and my parents were older, so I was kind of doted on to some extent. I mean, they were like grandparents, more than parents almost. Um, and um, I know I was complaining about sexism when I was in junior high. And that was at a point when, you know, way before the Civil Rights Act that said of 1964 that said married women couldn't teach and way before the pill and all of that kind of stuff. And people were telling me, well, that's just the way it is. And, you know, luckily, my mother said, if you want to be if you want to have a career, don't get married until you start your career and make sure it's really on the path that you want, because once you have children, it's going to be very hard. So. um Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't really felt alienated um from a lot of the groups that I've been with, especially like Starhawks group and things like that, Ecofeminist, neo-pagan. I couldn't really get into that, you know, where we're dancing. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs>
2: Thank you, Kenny. And I'm, I'm looking to see any other hand. Is that Sarah's hand raised? No. Okay. Uh, okay, well, maybe it looks like we're coming to a close, Jim. And uh, with great appreciation for your sharing and sharing your journey, Dell, and being so open and um, spontaneous with with your expressions and uh jim do you want to do that after
1: yeah and i might i might say also thanks for sharing the undertone of joy that i feel Um, in your in your in your laugh and your personality (laughs) i feel this lightness that's uh i think uh well it's 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 something we need right now some lightness